Once a week, the retail research team gets together over Skype, and we talk about all the projects that we're working on. And, you know, if we have time, we'll talk a little bit about our own personal retail experiences. For example, last week's topic was online and app-based food delivery services. I used to use Seamless slash Grubhub with somewhat frequency. That's Taylor Coyne. I have since stopped, but for no real reason. Uh, honestly, I think it actually has a lot to do with my neighborhood. The place I used to live didn't really have, I had to walk a little bit further to go grab food, whereas now I can easily walk out my door and go and grab things. So I find that I need it less. That might just be because I also live in a car culture, Los Angeles too, where it's a little bit easier for me to hop in the car. I, if I'm feeling really lazy, I do Uber Eats. That's Jen Demano. I capitalized on using it when it first came out. That way I got like no delivery charge when they were like first promoting it. So it was like worth it to like get food that was like really far from me. But now since they have the delivery fee and I just stopped using it. As a mom, when you're driving around with a toddler and you've gotten out of the car like four times and you're heading home, nothing beats being able to just order something and have it pretty much on the way for you before you get home, you know? That's Keisha Virtue. Like me, Keisha lives in a small town outside the territory of delivery apps. Unlike me, she's a fan of drive through I always go inside. I'm weird. For Jen in Chicago and Taylor in L.A., there are a lot of apps to choose from, but that doesn't mean that everyone is a fan. And I know all of my friends in New York use it a lot more, also because I think that they've really, you know, they get bike messengers to go and deliver all of the food and it gets to your doorstep so quickly. But Mm -hmm. here it takes forever. So I find that it's just way faster for me to go out and get it done rather than waiting, you know, an hour plus for food to get to my door. Maybe then it's not hot anymore. And, you know, Mm -hmm. if you messed up my order, which was literally the last time that I did this and I stopped because I was so mad that they got so many things wrong, but I had waited so long that it wasn't worth, like there was nothing I was going to do about it. Yeah. I had Grubhub and the Prime Now app. I hardly use Grubhub though. But I had Uber Eats before, but it's like one of those things I delete all the time and then reinstall. <laughs> I It's interesting. I'm looking at this one right now and it's like, here are the ones that will deliver it for $1.99. Here are like the newer ones and they're all different ranges. Like this weird kebab place is charging $12.95 for delivery. Or that's maybe that's awesome. a minimum. No, that's crazy. And that might be a minimum, but it is interesting. All the 199 is like Carl's Jr., McDonald's. Like, just go. It's like, am I really, we're getting to that point where you're now ordering fast food online. Like, that seems crazy to me. I can beat that. There's delivery for 99 cents for five guys for the one that's like a block away. <laughs> I will say, too, I liked Grubhub and Seamless or what now they're merged, right? Yes, Seamless and Grubhub merged in 2013. Like I've been getting emails that's like, make sure you switch over. You'll get, you know, 10 bucks free if you sign up right now. Um, 
they were good. Like despite sometimes the long wait, they did give you an update on when your food was going to be there. And if you like message them, they would call the restaurant for you and figure out where your food was. They'd be like, Oh, finishing up now. Or they just left, like should be 10, 15 minutes. So at least the customer service was on top of it. And sometimes it's really annoying to call the restaurant. It's really loud. The fact that they would do that for you was actually very helpful. Hold on one second. Yeah, I am getting kicked out of this room. Nice. That doesn't usually happen. The research team always reserves its conference rooms in advance. You're listening to Where We Buy, the show about the things we buy and the places we buy them. My name is James Cook. I research retail and real estate for JLL. This is the show where we talk with retail experts and we visit shopping spots across the nation. Today, we ask, what is the real cost of these online delivery apps? To answer that question, I went back to Skype. Hey, James, this is uh, Liam Oliver. How are you? Liam wrote an article for Modern Restaurant Management that caught my eye. My name's Liam Oliver, and I work with Velasquez Local Solutions. Um, and I work on the local business side. So we publish um, a series of 500 magazines and also um, online ordering software and other loyalty tools um, for small and medium-sized businesses across the United States. Generally, when you think about online ordering for restaurants, there's really two categories of uh, software that serve them. Uh, the first is uh, online ordering marketplaces, which is aggregates several types of uh, restaurants. So Grubhub, E24 are example of marketplaces. And on those platforms, you'll find pizza restaurants, you'll find Chinese restaurants, and all of these other um, uh, restaurants that serve your local community. The second type is white-labeled online ordering software. So that's where uh, a company like Chipotle or Chick-fil-A um, will have their own branded online ordering tool. Generally, you would find it on their website or app, um, which is uh, custom built uh, for, for, for their brand. I would say the two primary channels for receiving online orders today um, are through a mobile web experience. Um, so that's you know a traditional website. Um, and then the second one would be through mobile applications. We generally see about a 10 to 15% of orders coming from uh, mobile apps. And those are generally customers who are your most loyal. They're the ones that are purchasing several times a week from you. Um, so generally, mobile apps are really good for uh, restaurants that have high purchase frequencies, um, things like quick service restaurants like Starbucks or Panera. Um, whereas, you know, white tablecloth and higher end establishments that want to offer online ordering, a mobile app isn't as important because of the low purchase frequency. Consumers are less likely to actually go ahead and download that app. From a consumer standpoint, the online food aggregators give you a centralized place to view and compare restaurants, check out what they have to offer, um, and have a streamlined ordering experience that's familiar. Um, so from a consumer standpoint, uh, the, the online food marketplaces that aggregate all the different restaurants do a very good job. The other thing 
uh, to remember is those marketplaces generally have standardized practices for delivery. Um, so if you're a Grubhub user um, in Los Angeles, generally you have an idea of what the minimums are required in order to get a delivery from Grubhub and what that uh, service quality will be uh, because they, they share drivers and things like that. Um, so that consistent experience is definitely a plus for consumers. And so from the restaurant owner's standpoint, what's the, what are the pros for them? Yeah, so when you use an online food uh, marketplace as a restaurant, um, it's really just a turnkey solution. You don't have to go out and source a software provider to, to custom build um, uh, an online ordering portal um, for your restaurant. But on the drawback is uh, really two things. First, you're going to pay a premium. Generally, these online food marketplaces uh, charge uh, commissions um, that can be as high as 30 percent um, of the orders uh, generated of the revenue generated from the orders. Uh, the second is that you're onboarding your client or your guest uh, to uh, a third party portal that features all of your competitors, too. So let me put that in perspective. Um, you're a pizza restaurant um, and you have a loyal customer base. They naturally start to order online from you and you choose to use you know, Grubhub as your solution provider. You're sending all of your customers to Grubhub. Once you do, Grubhub now owns that customer's information and the right to market to them. So that means that they're automatically going to start sending them promotions for other nearby restaurants um, that could potentially win business away from you. Um, and to further complicate matters, the way Grubhub and other marketplaces um, promote restaurants is based on the amount of revenue you share with them. So a uh, Grubhub restaurant that shares 17% will be ranked lower than a competitor of yours that is sharing 25% of the revenue. So do they, in exchange for that higher percentage, do they get a commensurate um, increase in, in number of orders? Are they making up for it in volume? You know, Grubhub and other online ordering marketplaces do a good job of driving volume, but you got to ask what your cost of customer acquisition is for that. So, you know, if you're if you have a hundred dollars worth of orders, you know, you're paying thirty dollars uh, to for those new customers. And the revenue share does not discriminate. So you're paying the same spiff for both your existing loyal customers and your new customers. I think getting your customers onto your own online ordering experience is really critical. So, you know, many people see Domino's today um, not as a pizza company, but as a technology company. Um, over 60% of their orders internationally and over half of their orders domestically are from online. And let me tell you, it's not because Domino's has great pizza. It's because it's simple to order from them and it's convenient. For me as a, you know, let's say I were a restaurant owner, do I just avoid food aggregators or do I sort of jump in but keep them at arm's length? One of the factors to make that choice is, do you offer delivery today? So Grubhub, Uber Eats, one of the things that they both do really well is they add a delivery network um, that can be access, accessed by a group of restaurants that may not traditionally 
um, offer delivery. So if you're in a position where you don't have your own delivery drivers and you're not part of a, a network of them um, in your local community, um, adding delivery through a Grubhub or E24 um, may be a good idea. But if you're using uh, those platforms purely to add online ordering, it's likely a much better investment um, to do it um, with a white-labeled uh, software provider. Um, and there's a lot out there. So we're big fans of uh, Total Loyalty Solutions, um, which offers white-labeled online ordering starting at $149 a month. Um, and there's also several competitors out there like Chow Now, based out of Los Angeles, um, Zuppler, based out of Philadelphia, um, and um, many others that provide really turnkey solutions for less than $200 a month um, and really give you the capabilities uh, that a Domino's or a Papa John's has. Do you have a take on what kinds of foods are more suited to delivery? I know I've gotten burgers before that are not awesome if you don't eat them right away. You know, many white tablecloth restaurants um, explicitly don't allow uh, uh, takeout uh, or uh, delivery because they don't want to uh, create a poor guest experience. You know, they think coming in and, and dining with them is is paramount to to their product, and that and that makes a lot of sense. Um, so generally, as far as uh, volume of orders, yeah, pizza is by far and large the the largest uh, product that's uh, uh, ordered online and then delivered. Um, as you get into burgers and, and burritos and, and barbecue and things like that, um, there's definitely you know a large volume of online orders out there. Um, but uh, special attention has to be paid to the guest experience and how to curate um, those those products um, in order to you know sort of create that surprise moment when you're opening the food at home that really makes it feel like you know this is something special. Um, and that it's just not, you know, reheated um, uh, food in a cardboard box. That feeling when you open um, your iPhone from, you know, Apple's box the first time, that, that box opening experience is something special. Um, and you're seeing that recreated in food. Um, you know, you see uh, Domino's uh, spending a significant amount of investment, not only in their package design and their, and the, and their, their pizza boxes, but also... Uh, the the marketing of the, the the container that the pizza boxes go in and the delivery driver's uh, car to keep them hot that sort of uh, that red oven um, that you see in their commercials um, so uh, quick service providers are thinking about it um, and enhancing their packaging to create a better experience. To be clear, Liam comes with a very specific point of view. His company provides the kind of white-label ordering systems that he recommends as an alternative to online food aggregators. Delivery, overall, is still a small percent of food sales, but there was a Morgan Stanley analysis in 2017 that predicted that as much as 40% of food sales would eventually be delivery. One big reason for that prediction, convenience. Every morning at uh, uh, 4.45 a.m., I get up at 5 o'clock. I uh, longboard down to Starbucks where my order is uh, my breakfast sandwich and my iced Americano is waiting for me uh, because I ordered through their mobile app. Um, so it's definitely something that's been built into my routine. I live uh, a block away from a local coffee shop called Java Man. 
and a block away from Starbucks, which is in a different direction. I prefer Java Man, um, and they are they have better coffee, and they're active in our local community and support nonprofits that we're all very proud of. But every morning, I go to Starbucks instead of Java Man, and it's because of convenience. I can order online, and I can have that coffee and breakfast sandwich waiting for me, whereas if I went to Java Man, I would be in a line with 10 people. Last episode, we heard from Sarah Quinn. Sarah is a representative millennial consumer. She's our focus group of one. We talked to her about her shopping habits. Well, Sarah is also a frequent user of online delivery. At least twice a week. I use Postmates and Instacart, and I have also used Caviar and um, DoorDash. And is this at work or at home? Both. I like the convenience. For me, I have... um, I live in a big apartment building that has some um, elevator issues that um, make it hard for me to get in and out of my apartment. So the delivery comes essentially to my door and I don't have to leave. Um, when you live in LA and there's a lot of traffic, you'll kind of do anything to knock it into your car again if you don't have to. Uh, in your apartment, you live on a pretty high floor. I do. And your elevator is often broken? Often broken. <laughs> so the delivery person gets is knocking on your door uh are they pretty miserable at that point (laughs) so i will often meet them downstairs um and and walk the stairs um the issue too is with my building that there's two elevators and one of them is often broken so it just slows everything down i'll I'll often go down and meet them too i think it's definitely the kind of thing that can get you can get carried away with and um certainly myself looking at my finances and the amount of times that i have um ordered in food it's the kind of thing that you need to um manage or be aware of how much you're spending because it can definitely get away from you pretty quickly a true analysis is tough to come by but anecdotally from restaurant tours in cities like new york and san francisco we're hearing that about 30% of their orders are now delivery yet the more they deliver they say the more their profits go down it doesn't seem like the major food aggregator apps are profitable either so the model has to change right people love it but the true price of delivery has to be baked into the cost. In other words, delivery fees for these apps are going to go up for consumers. But even after that happens, there's a large segment of people that will continue to use it and continue to pay for it. Like this person, a recent caller to the Where We Buy hotline. Hi, my name is Taylor Coyne. We've never spoken before, but I recently tried a new service last night called Caviar, and I thought it was really great and just wanted to share it. I'll start over. Um, Caviar is my new go-to food service, food delivery service. I've been seeing signs for it, but I finally used it for the first time last night, and they have access to some of the newer and arguably cooler restaurants that have opened up in my neighborhood of Eagle Rock in Los Angeles. And last night I got to order food from Joy, which is one of my newer favorite restaurants that's just about, you know, a five-minute drive away, but I wasn't really into leaving my home. But I placed the order and I could track exactly where my food was at all times. It said that the kitchen was preparing it. It then gave me my driver's name and where he was, and then I could actually track his location on the way to my house. 
And I got my food in about 30, 35 minutes, which is exactly how long they said it would take. So I just really wanted to share that with the Where We Buy podcast and have a good one. That person, who I swear I don't know and have never met before, left a message on our hotline, and you can too. We'll use it on an upcoming show. Give us a call at 602-633-4061. Tell us your name and where you're calling from. Where We Buy is coming to New York. We'll be doing live podcasts as a part of ICSC's New York Dealmaking Conference at the Javits Center. We're going to be recording podcasts in front of a live audience on December 5th and 6th. That's a Wednesday and Thursday. It's in an area they've designated as Retail in Focus. So this is on the main show floor. You go in to Hall 3D, which is kind of like the main entrance behind registration, you walk straight back and you're going to run into the retail and focus area. On Wednesday, December 5th at noon, we're going to be recording an interview with John Goodman of Candytopia. And at 2 p.m. with Matt Alexander of Neighborhood Goods. Neighborhood Goods just opened a location in Plano, Texas, and they're being touted as the department store of the future. So I'm very curious to learn more. On Thursday, December 6th at 10 a.m., um, I'm going to be hosting a panel on grocery disruption. That's not a podcast, but it will be a panel. We'll have Dan Gavin of Aldi and Nick Hodge of Kroger, plus Jim Sylvia of Reedco Sylvia Associates. Then two more podcasts on the 6th at 12.30 p.m. with M. Jemmy, the shoe retailer, and then at 1 p.m. with Four Post. Four Post is a new concept. It's a curated mix of brands, and they've got locations now at Mall of America and the West Edmonton Mall. I'm curious to see what that's all about. Hey, if you can't be in New York to see the podcast live, no worries. Make sure you subscribe to Where We Buy on your iPhone podcast app or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and you won't miss a minute. You could even go to wherewebuy.show. Or if you've got a lady in your life named Alexa, you can tell her to enable the Where We Buy skill. You can follow me on Twitter I'm at James D. Cook. That's James, the letter D, and Cook. Our theme music is Run in the Night by the Good Lords under Creative Commons license.